Davis. Look at the big end. Look at the turn. Oh, that was brilliant, Luke Bruce. Gee, it's a good kick. It is a great kick. It's one for the ages. O'Brien, some candy, and then a goal. Lewis runs into the open goal. Thank you very much. The Hawks are back in town. Hello and welcome Hawks fans, one and all, thank you for joining us, Tiz, it's good to link up again for the second time inside 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see you again Nick, um, have you done your beard at all? Or, <laughs> uh? I don't expect to see anyone, so no is the answer, you're not going to take that personally are you? No, no, I'm, I'm good. It's, it's becoming a theme, beards on the on the pod here. Absolutely, we'll get to that. Uh, it's our pleasure to bring you yet another special edition of the Hawk Talk podcast. As you know, one of the great joys of supporting the mighty HFC is being able to reminisce and relive so many sensational wins. And who better to do that with than our brown and gold brothers, the Golden Years podcast. Welcome aboard, Ash, Andrew and Darren. Hello boys, good to be with you again. Long time listeners and first time joint Zoomers, so really excited. Great to be here, boys. Big fans for a long time, so it's a dream to be on the pod. I guess this collaboration was probably always due, but uh, we're doing it a little bit differently these days. Uh, tell us about how the podcast has been going, because we're obviously fans of you guys as well, and we've been tuning in, but it must be an absolute thrill to get some of the big names to talk about some of the big games. This is Andrew's baby, so he can. Uh, I'm going to hand over to him to, to give the background of how it all came about. Yeah, thanks. Just throw me straight in there, Ash. Um. No, look, I think, to be honest, a few years ago, I'd been speaking with mates about actually doing what you guys do and, and thinking about the potential of doing a podcast every week to talk about um, how the Hawks are travelling and review each week and potentially preview it. And um, as your pod started to grow, that sort of got shelved somewhat. Um, and at the same time, I'd been speaking to Ash and said, Hey, Ash, like 99 Comeback, as an example, there is a pod in that, if not a series of pods in it. Let's, let's go back and revisit some of the glory days. And at the time, Ash was involved in another podcast, The Four Horsemen, um, and uh, with, with other commitments, it was, it was pretty, pretty tough to get that in. But as soon as that... Um, as soon as that ended, I was back in his ear and said, let's do it. Let's, um, let's get it up and running because, yeah, we've recently done the 99 game and obviously uh, we'll speak about that a little bit later on. But from my opinion, I said to him, you know, we could do... A whole series on it, We yeah? could do six or seven <laughs> episodes. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's get Harp in. Let's get Salmon in. Let's I get... think you said let's get Tim Watson in. I'm not sure he'd be up for that, really. It's... Um... <laughs> Probably, probably the nadir of his whole career that moment. But <laughs> I've heard him speak about that game or get asked about that game, and whether it's true or not, he generally says, "Yeah, I, I can't remember too much about it." So he's blocked it from his mind. But um, yeah, that that was the the start of it, and I've known Darren for many years and um, known about his passion for the footy club. So yeah, it just sort of all came together from there and Ash's connection with the footy club helped and put the proposal through to them and 
the rest is golden years history. Well, you've um, you've gone back before my time. You went right back to '76. That was interesting hearing about uh, all that from Peter Knights. The Crimo episode, I think, probably for all of us was a real highlight of the pod. Um, just being in the same room as Knightsy and hearing his emotion when he talks about Crimo's influence on on that flag and the club um, was very very special to be part of. I still get goosebumps thinking about him talking about Crimo and, um, and and his legend and how that's inspired Hawthorne. So, yeah, that's been the, the real joy in this is going back through those early years before we were born and really kind of reliving those games again. It's something strange too because you get this sort of long arc to it when you do that and you can see that, um, you know, there was a similar ethos coming through in '99. Uh, genes is related if you get a goal back this quarter and a couple more the next, that kind of stuff you were talking about. And it just it, it sort of becomes part of the fabric, doesn't it, Ash? It's just uh, it's an intangible quality to the Hawthorne club. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the thread from talking to people, we, and today we, and we did Rodney E today talking about the 84 second semi-final. It was also about the genesis of the rivalry with Essendon and a bit about Hawthorne under Jeans, and it was a, a really interesting conversation. And Jeans bought into the Hawthorne ethos. The interesting line from Rocker, without giving too much away, from it comes out in a couple of weeks. But he said that Jeans was a better coach. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Darren Andrew, but I think he said Jeans was a better coach at Hawthorne than St Kilda. And he uh, learned a few things from being out, and he came to Hawthorne and applied some lessons that he, he didn't at St Kilda. But a lot of that was it. A lot of his values were aligned with those of John Kennedy. So, and we learned from the Kennedy podcast that uh, James and Kennedy were very close and worked together for the first couple of years. James was a coach of Hawthorne. So it's just this thing that's gone through. And Clarkson, Alistair Clarkson, a disciple of Kennedy, ironically from his time at North Melbourne um, as well. But you know, one of the first things Clarkson did when he became coach of Hawthorne was spend a lot of time with Alan James. So you've got these intangibles going back to the 1950s, Kennedy when he was a player still ring to it footy club today, these values that, uh, uh, you know, whether they're better values than other clubs, I, I wouldn't say that every club's got its own unique and special values, but certainly there are some values at Hawthorne that have carried through for 60, 70 years now. And I think with that, the fact that we've been so successful that those values through from the 70s through to today and the amount of success that we've had um, it's interesting because when I talk to my Hawthorne mates about the pod, uh, it's not about a complacency about being successful. You know, the, the stigma as a Hawthorne supporter of being uh, to up yourself with how much success we've had um, versus when you try and get other supporters to feel what some of these discussions and some of these characters and some of these people are bringing about in terms of the fabric of the club and the fabric that has been generational from these guys 40 years ago to 50 years ago to the you know the 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 golden generation that we've seen over the past decade um it's really it's really super special and it's it's really special to go back and relive that so here's the conundrum that we face with this podcast. You've got five guys, five diehard Hawks fans, and you've got decades of success. 
we could talk for days about how good this club has been and how good it is. So we set you guys the task to try and pick three of your favourite games. And we'll pick up the thread here uh, with a game that was played before I was born. Uh, the 1988 Grand Final. Well, I went for that game for a couple of reasons. First, because I knew it again, Tears would get excited because they beat Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> the couple of reasons why I liked the game. First, it was just a great day out the footy because it started with the um, Ben Johnson winning 100 metres goal at Seoul Olympics on the big screen before the game, which they showed. It was the same day. The VFL members, as they were, shared the MCC members reserve and most of them stand with the MCC members. So I um, got there nice and early to get a really good seat and sat down and was immediately harangued by some Melbourne supporters, Tiz, saying, you sure you want to sit here with us? Uh, it's not going to be a very pleasant day for you um, for you people because we're going to murder you. <laughs> so there was the personal satisfaction of, of waiting about five hours for the game to start, as you did when you had to get there that early, and then watching Hawthorne absolutely put Melbourne to the sword. A Melbourne team that, for some reason, went into the game as the almost the favourite, despite the fact that Hawthorne, this is the best Hawthorne team I've ever seen. And it doesn't quite get the kudos that I think it deserves because... Because the opponents didn't turn up, Ash, that's why. Well, that, that, that was such a great side all year and, and you know, being in a fortunate position of, ha- of having to gotten to know several members of that team and talking to them over the years, they needed a tweak after losing in 87. Alan Joyce coming for that one year um, he just took no nonsense, took no bullshit from anybody and just made that team a little bit tougher. And guys like Brereton and Dipper and Ayers had licence when needed to rough up the opposition in a slightly subtle way. And it was just a, a team that pretty much, I think they might have lost the first game of the year to Carlton and then after that they lost two games for the rest of the season. They just bullied teams all through the season, had stars on every line. Um, they... They were a team uh, with axe to grind and a point to prove. Um, and the quality of the team is you look at the guys who didn't get a game in that grand final team. I and mean, there was some half a dozen seriously good Hawthorne footballers, present and future, who just couldn't get near that side. Um, so I just, it's just being a great day at the footy, a really impressive team that just beat up on teams all year. For that reason, that's, that's my favourite. Hawthorne, that's my favourite Hawthorne grand final in a lot of ways. I mean, 2014 was obviously a great day, but I mean, I couldn't enjoy it as much. I was sitting in the media area, so I couldn't sort of sit there and carry on like a goose, like you four people, as much as I would have liked to. And in the last four premierships, I've been sitting in the media area, so you've got to, you know, you've got to, you can get a bit excited about your team, but you can't really barrack. But 88 was just a chance with a, with a combination of the obnoxious Melbourne supporters, such a, a powerful unit, and then to watch them play complete perfection on grand final day was um, was just a joy. So that's a game that always sticks out for me. But I mean, it's like, you know, I've been very lucky. I mean, I'm older than you guys. I've been very lucky. I've been alive for 12 premierships and I've seen 11. So, you know, I can easily choose a, a great memory of each of them. But 88, for some reason, just sticks in my mind. I have a recollection of the hyper-colour boots from uh, Dermy. So that, that stuck in the mind from that grand final. He was at the peak. He was He was bigger than big at that time. It was clear by then that Jason Dunstall was a champion. John Platten was the best rover in the competition. Uh, underrated players like Tony Hall, and people forget what a good player Tony Hall was. Um, and Buccaneer, they were the second, they were the medium forwards in that side, and they were both outright 
super footballers, and he had that back line of uh, the back line. Russell Green's last game is my top three favourite ever Hawthorne player, so that's another reason why I love the game. It was Green's last game. Um, Langford at the peak of his powers, Mew at the peak of his powers, Gary Ayres won the North Smith that day. Just so stars in every line, just a, a champion team. And um, I think you talk to a lot of the players in that era, and they will tell you that they think that might have been the best team. The 89 grand final was a better was a better game and a harder win, but the best team Hawthorne had was was the 88 team. I was just going to ask, Ash, how do you actually think that 88 grand final team would do against the 2014 grand final team? Oh, I think that'd be, it'd be a really tight game. Champions are on every line, all, all Australians everywhere, Northwith medalists, the whole, the whole thing. Surely James Morrissey had cut him up. The freak would just be doing I didn't mention James Morrissey. He's the fifth forward in that team. He stuns me, that guy. Apparently he had terrible vision. Dermy says that whenever he talks about him. He wore Coke bottle. He's like Mr. Magoo. He wore Coke <laughs> bottle glasses off the field. He just he looked like an accountant. He looked like he walking from you know, some suburban accountant's office. And then he'd just do these ridiculously t- amazing things on the footy ground. Yeah, he slaps it out to Dipper on the boundary, then slots it. That's a classic goal. And unfortunately, they don't flash to the crowd to see the disappointment on the Melbourne faces. But you can hear the roar from... <laughs> The Hawkers. I feel like uh, Tiz needs his own angle in every sort of Hawthorne Melbourne game. Press red for dread. It's just a constant <laughs> fixed camera on the Melbourne fans. And I think you'd be, almost be watching that more than the game, Tiz. Uh, I'll never forget enduring um, Farmer's goal off the wing out at Waverley that day. That sort of stuck with me. And then there was the merger game. And yeah, I'm a little bit rattled by Melbourne still. <laughs> I feel like that rivalry's fizzled a bit, though. And. Uh, it's, I guess, probably similar with Essendon and why the Geelong and Swans rivalry has picked up because Melbourne and the Bombers just haven't been that good for a long time. So. Yeah, I was going to suggest it's because they're crap and we're really good. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. I just want to catch people up to speed. If you're unfamiliar with the scoreline for this game, uh, Hawthorne 22-20, 152, defeated Melbourne 6-20-56 at the MCG. 6-20. 6-20 in a grand final? Has there been a worse scoreline or accuracy for, for a team? I I find that astonishing. Yeah, it wouldn't have been too many more accurate displays than that one. I mean, look, there's... I mean, those are days of, you know, rush. you could easily rush behinds and, and what have you. It might have been a bit of uh, garbage time sort of towards the end. But, uh, no, they were really – they, they were good for about 10 minutes, Melbourne. And it was pretty clear by halfway through the first quarter that Hawthorne were going to be uh, – we're going to win the game. And it became possession. Talk to Brown about that game and he's never been more confident – he told me he's never been more confident going to a game, not a grand final, but a game. <laughs> oh, my God. So the story told about the Brownlow that year, that the um, the Melbourne boys were in pretty good terms with themselves, having won the preliminary final and had a couple, enjoyed themselves for a couple of days. I turned up to the Brownlow medal and uh, looked over at the Hawthorne boys sipping their iced water and um, barely smiling through the entire Brownlow count. And I realised that these grand finals, something else. These boys have been there before, and uh, the suggestion was that the the game, the grand final was half one on Brand on Brownlow night. Now, uh, in my research for this particular game, um, I mean, it would have been remiss of me not to hit up uh, Demon Wiki 
Um, I didn't think Tiz was going to do it, so I thought I'd head to Demon Wiki. And here's how they saw the game. This is an excerpt from that webpage. Uh, the Demons kicked with the wind in the second quarter, and after they got there first, fans were hoping that it would signify a revival. Instead, it sparked the Hawks into a murderous form. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, doesn't it just sum it up? I mean... Even someone like Paul Abbott saved his career-best haul of six goals just for this game. I mean, what a time to do it. The most he'd kicked before that was four against Richmond the same year in round two, but six was his best, and he did it in a grand final. That is something else. And six straight when both teams kicked 20 behinds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, among those who couldn't get a game for Hawthorne in that grand final, and they might have, some might have been injured, but I think most of them couldn't get a game. It was, uh, off the top of my head, Ray Jenke, Paul Deere, Peter Russo, Russell Morris, um, they say Peter Curran, he didn't play either. They're just great players and premiership players who didn't get a sniff of a game that year. As you so rightly point out, Ash, uh, Ayers was the best on that day. 22 touches despite a fractured cheekbone in the first quarter, which is pretty good, must be said. Yeah, he was uh, so powerful. He didn't need to be moved to the middle that day to... Uh, to to dominate, he was he could quite easily dominate from the back pocket. One last word on that game, probably my favourite highlight from it is uh, Brereton's textbook banana from the boundary. Uh, that is sublime. Yeah, I was sitting very close to from behind where he kicked that goal from, and uh, again, it was just uh, never in doubt from the time it left the boot. I think that's also the grand final which they had. He and uh, a few others had the tip top bread in the Premiership Cup as they ran the lap of honour. <laughs> the high five. Well, gentlemen, shall we go from the next game uh, that you've selected, the 1999 comeback game? Uh, I know who chose this. This would be Andrew's pick. There's honestly not a single person in the world that knows more about this game, even the people that play the game. And Andrew mentioned it in the pod, but he had a drinking game at his Bucks party devised around key moments in the third quarter. So it's uh, a scary levels of fandom. Sure was. And... Uh... Yeah, more than happy to talk about this game on the record, off the record, tonight, tomorrow, whenever you like. But um... Listeners can hear you smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know how to be nice and sober playing that drinking game? Barry Hall's stats. Oh. <laughs> After the first quarter or second quarter, you're pretty sweet. You're right to drive. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you just don't want to... Um don't want to do it based on perceived toughness because gee they uh <laughs> they really were putting it on in that second half when it was all crumbling and and it was a thing of beauty no i definitely um definitely it's one of my favorites and and we spoke to dutchy we spoke to nick holland that that um the pot about this game which which came out recently so what I've actually tried to do is come up with a few um, fun stats and, and points of information to take out of the game that we didn't refer to in that pod just to freshen it up and make it a little bit interesting. So um, I, I think that um, in, a, in the pod that we did, um, both Dutchie and, and certainly Darren was a big fan of talking about Nathan Thompson and the emergence of Nathan Thompson in that game. And certainly we came to know him as a forward that could go into the ruck and, and his rucking in that game was absolutely brilliant. Um, back then, uh, the, the games at Waverley, you used to be able to 
go and watch the reserves, which started at 11 a.m. And myself and my mates, we used to go and watch every Resies game. Uh, at halftime in the reserves, out the front of the AFL members of the Sir Kenneth Luke stand, that is when all of the seniors would be coming in, suited up, and you'd be able to go out the front and chat with them and get their autographs. Um, so we had seen a lot of Nathan Thompson playing in the reserves before this, which was his breakout game. And interestingly enough, uh, I'm a very firm believer that he could have been a significantly better footballer for us if he got given more ruck time. Because he, in the resis, used to dominate in the ruck. He absolutely used to dominate. But um, what is interesting and, and preempting the 2008 granny, which we're going to be leading into, was... 2004, speaking of Nathan Thompson, um, he got traded to North and we could probably, you'll agree, do a, do a whole pot on trades and the quality of trading at our club throughout the golden years. Um, he got traded to North for pick 10 and pick 26 and pick 10 was on traded to Collingwood, which gave us pick seven and Jordan Lewis. So... Um, just tying that Nathan Thompson side of things. I, I remember vividly, um, again, the interchange race and the coaches' boxes were in the AFL members. And one thing that we didn't speak about during the pod was the two 50-metre penalties that our good friend Spider Everett managed to cough up on that day. Boo that man until he plays for us. Totally. That's one part totally. that really hits me when I think back to this game is I remember talking my father into staying after quarter time, firstly. And then <laughs> from there on, I uh, kind of got interested in the stats and was just playing with the radio for a while, trying to avoid Dad's gaze as uh, it didn't look much better. And then uh, I had to remind him during the third quarter when we got back into it why we were still there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember Spider coming to the bench and, and Watson had dragged him. And he was just mouthing expletives. And it was unbelievable. The crowd got into him too. <laughs> they told him about it. <laughs> totally. Well, the second 50-metre penalty, he was making the lunatic signs at the umpire and, and he kept that going for Tim Watson as he ran off the ground. He was eyeballing him and he pointed at him and, yeah, it was, it, it was all happening in that AFL members section, packed with Hawks fans and... He was coughing it. He was coughing it. And obviously, um, Michael Kolika went on to kick that goal, which he didn't kick too many in his career, but that was, uh, that was certainly a very, very memorable one. Um, uh, another interesting piece of info, and, and I know you guys watched it recently too when it was on TV and uh, had had the Twitter machine going into overdrive, which was awesome to relive and, and see everyone else relive it, was that um, I feel like we know you guys really, really well through the podcast. So another fact that I'm sure you will love is that um, Ash mentioned in our pod that Clarko was an assistant coach to Timmy Watson and, and in their box on the day. 
one of our assistants on the day was Scott McGuinness. And <laughs> there you go. I know that you guys will absolutely adore any chance of, uh, of us being able to bring Finn into the conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there it is. Uh, so interesting that he was part of the, part of the team on the day. Um, and I think, I think for me as a game, it was just, it was just great to get that ultimate joy, that ultimate level of excitement in, in 95 and 97, we'd finished second bottom in 98, we'd finished fourth bottom. And then by the time we got to 99, we had the pre-season cup uh, that we won at Waverley, uh, the Saints game, the flying run home, the last game at Waverley, uh, Croft winning the Brownlow and his incredible year. But um, as far as the full range of emotions go in a game of footy and that absolute sheer exhilaration, oh, for me, you got it being there on the day. And let's put it in context. That was the biggest comeback in league history to that point. Uh, the Saints held a 63-point lead five minutes into the second quarter. Um, of course, this record would be eclipsed a few years later. Uh, North Melbourne once again ruining everything by being terrible. Um, <laughs> but it was Hawthorne 17-7-109 defeated St Kilda 14-12-96 out at Waverley Park, as you say. Uh Holland with five, if you don't mind. Thompson, three. Harford, two. Salmon with two. Collicker, Dixon, Leckis, Lord, Rock. It was raining goals there for a while. It, it spelt trouble for St Kilda, let's say. As, as we are putting things in context, St Kilda president Andrew Plimpton at the time slammed the players for humiliating the club. That's a quote. The Saints won only three more games for the season from there, and they slumped all the way from fourth to tenth and ended up one spot below Hawthorne. Tim Watson was famous after the game saying of his players they had heads like boarding school puddings. I think that says a lot about Tim, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But 10 goals to none in the third term is just, that's, you can't come back from that really as a coach, can you? (laughs) And then they went and got Malcolm Blight and he famously walked out on them. It's a wonderful story, St Kilda. <laughs> yeah, I certainly, um, I certainly know all about the ten goals in the third quarter because, as alluded to earlier, at my Bucks, I had to drink every single time Hawthorne scored a goal. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, by three quarter time, I was in a very happy place. <laughs> the salmon palm down to Harford. Uh, and when you watch the vision, you actually see Harford after he's decided to finish his aeroplane celebrations, he actually points at Salmon and then the camera moves to Salmon and it's got him doing the massive point back to him. And Yeah, he's, he's, he's got uh, both arms outstretched, the double point. We've used that as a gift before, actually. I quite like it. Oh, it's, it's absolutely... Uh, it's beautiful. It is a thing of beauty. So that that for a very long time has been one of my favourite, favourite goals of all time from, yeah, one of my favourite games of all time. And you touch on that in the pod, the uh, the belief that's present in that moment. But for Lekas to come in at quarter time and in front of Spider, just tell him that uh, 
if we come back from this, will be one of the greatest victories. I mean, that kind of mentality is just, from the Golden Greek is just ridiculous. He'll dine out on that forever, you know. He'll always have that. It's also ridiculous given where we'd come from. I mean, it's it's not like that team was part of a golden generation that knew they could always win against whoever they played in whatever situation they were in. So for him to say that and then have that come true, it's a bit of a uh, Steve Waugh, you just dropped the World Cup type moment. And then that belief follows through into 2000, even though Judgy leaves, and into 2001 we get close and then we're looking at Crawford going, he's devoted so much to the club and it crowed leaves, comes back and then we get to what is probably my favourite day at the footy the grand final 2008 I show up pretty early, I, I bought a I bought a grand finalist cap and you know I'm, I'm sitting there and I've got my jacket on, I'm actually in the sun I'm in the Great Southern Stand but I have to go back in the member so I need the jacket on, it's getting a bit hot <laughs> Because <laughs> it was such a sunny day. And uh, it just, uh, I remember Powderfinger just burning up the, the G, getting everyone involved. And then you get this tickle of anticipation and maybe we could beat this cat side that took all before him. And maybe we won't be embarrassed like Port Adelaide were 12 months ago, you know, because that, that was the fear for me, that happening to us. Now, long-time listeners of the pod will know that... Um... I've been in standing room for many years. I sort of took heed from my brother being in standing room and I got involved with that mob over in M10. And um, me and my dad, we, we just thought we'd head right back there for grand final. Our, our tickets weren't there, but we thought it's standing room. They're probably not going to police it. It's going to be fine. So we showed up really early and we found our spot there. And uh, as the day sort of began to unfold, it became apparent that this was a very... Um, pro Geelong Bay that they had organised. <laughs> the ticketing just fell that way and we were just swamped by Geelong supporters. It was a bit, you know, a bit of an uneasy feeling. Um, and it all came to a head right before the first the first siren, the first bounce of the ball. We were moved on. Someone had dobbed us in. They suspected that we didn't have the right tickets and someone dobbed us in and security moved us on right before the game was about to start. That's very unlike Geelong supporters to appeal to a higher order. <laughs> You know, part of me is like, well, fair enough. We weren't where we were meant to be. It's the equivalent of like that thing in cinemas. If you're not in the right seats, you're the one at fault. Don't be a dick. Sit where you're meant to have sat. And so that's fair enough. But on the other hand, I'm like, geez, I'm a bit filthy. Like, it's almost like they waited until the last possible moment to move us on. And, you know, we're, we're power walking towards another bay where we're standing, where we're actually meant to be. And the whole time I'm like, we're not going to be able to see a thing. This is my first grand final. And this is going to be rubbish. This is going to be awful. And then we wind up behind the goals at the punt road end. <laughs> and uh, it turns out to be a pretty good place to be. Stuart Dewey. <laughs> Stuart Dewey. Uh, I mean, what an electrifying third term. Just so many unforgettable moments that every Hawk fan will, will cherish forever. I, I, I don't... Look, I might be wrong about this, but in terms of like quarters and, and the, the sheer volume of memorable moments, I can't think of another game. Maybe a different grand final, but that it will always be special for that moment. That, you know, Stewie Dew-led cameo, the thing with Rioli... Um, 
Jew and Williams tag team effort at that end. That that's one of my favorite goals of all time. Hook that into my veins. But who did you go to the game with, Darren? I think you said. Well, this is this is a, a the, one of the reasons I picked this game is because I wasn't supposed to go to that game. We were frantically trying to get a ticket. My dad was supposed to go. And uh, my grandmother was pretty sick at the time. So she took a turn on that day and my dad had to go to hospital. Gave me his ticket an hour before the game started. So I raced down. I was sitting with my cousin who's a Carlton supporter. Um, didn't have time to put sunscreen on. As you said, it was a really hot day. So I got burnt to a crisp sitting out there. And uh, just the emotion of uh, being there watching the Hawks on grand final day. Not having my dad there, which was um, not great, but we got to enjoy a few more premierships after that. But yeah, the, the start of that day was pretty emotional for me. And then the unexpected win and the exhilaration of, of that win with that young, exciting team and the, the third quarter heroics from Cyril and G was just so special. What about the moment where uh, Milburn panics and it's beautifully commentated by Bruce McAvaney. They're running out of ideas by the look of it. <laughs> and shortly after, Stewie Jew goals and, and the Cats, they look broken. They've been snapped in half. Um, but the moment, I, I want to get your guys' take on this, uh, when exactly you thought the game was won. For me, definitively, it was when Franklin wheeled around onto his left at the city end and he goaled from there, making it look like the easiest thing in the world. Um, that was when I knew it was over. Oh, mine, when Sam Mitchell's kicking a goal from 50 out on his left. <laughs> uh, and Sam... Sorry, when Sam Mitchell is kicking a goal from 50 out full stop, <laughs> uh, I think that must have put us maybe 33 clear from memory or 27 clear. And, uh, yeah, it's still not quite <laughs> believing, but, yeah, it was pretty special. That was the thing. There was no point in that game that I felt we could win it, even when it was impossible for them to win. I was just in disbelief in that last quarter. I just, you know, maybe Xavier Ellis kind of running all those uh, rush behinds um, was when I knew, oh, okay, they can't get us now. But uh, I tell you what, I was just waiting for the momentum of the Cats to come back and, and bowl us all over. And the, when I saw uh, Franklin not even try to mark, but just slap it down to Rioli, who then proceeded to slow down and kick the goal... I thought, actually, we might have something here. This could be it. <laughs> just a magnificent moment for me. And I remember just jumping up and down on the spot with my dad in the stands and high-fiving whichever other hawkers were around us. <laughs> Has there ever been a more influential six or seven minutes from an individual in a quarter of footy in a grand final than Stuart Jew in that third quarter? The mark that he took, the one-on-one mark that he took where Croft shanked it to him, obviously the goals, obviously the the one-twos with Willow in the forward line. It was just, it's just the, those five or six minutes you could watch over and over and over again. They were really gunning for us there, Geelong. They were, they were trying to get back into it right at that point, doing their best, and then he just stands up and takes it away from them. It's just... <laughs> It's just so good. The reason why the Jew Williams goal is so important is they they just, there was sheer determination, this never-say-die attitude, this commitment to the contest from these two players. 
And it just felt like Geelong had the numbers and they just kept on sending reinforcements and it didn't do anything. They just somehow found a way and it's like, okay, no, we're, we're on here. There's something happening here. But I think just Hawthorne having the mental edge over Geelong when it counts. And I think that's, What's again... That, <laughs> <laughs> I did steal it. He's a very smart man. I did steal that from him. But, um, but I guess... <laughs> just the, the through line through history that we've been able to relieve through the pod and um you know you get to that grand final and Geelong it must have played on their played on their minds and I think Mooney missing that shot just before half time which is a moment of beauty as well in that game um, a, the, the other I think Brad Otten's running to about yeah 30 or 40 out with a player by himself in the goal square and he blazes away and misses it was it was some selfish footy, but I think that was just based on being rattled. Yeah, can I just say, that's my favourite Geelong miss of the day. <laughs> I know everyone likes to highlight Mooney, but that is the one for me. I remember being in the rooms after the um, first Geelong game that year, the Friday night game, and talking to a couple of people in the rooms, and they were saying that, well, if that's... Uh, Apple didn't play for Geelong that night. And Hodger had a complete mare. He played terribly. Um, so they were saying, well, that's their best. We can go toe-to-toe with them um, for the... Uh, we, we no fears about playing them again. Number two, Hawthorne was the form team in the finals. Hawthorne had much better form in the finals than Geelong did. So I knew... I went to the game thinking that absolutely... What's not going to happen is it not going to get thrashed. I'll give a really good account of themselves. And I thought when Bateman kicked the first goal of the game, and the manner in which he kicked the goal, basically took them on, went for a long run and kicks this bomb from 50 metres. But, well, they're, they're up for this game. They're on. They're, they're on. They're absolutely on. They're not, they're not, they're not going to blow them away. It might, it might be close and they might lose. Um, but I thought once Franklin kicked the first goal the last quarter, that was a steadier. Because Geelong had dominated the last few minutes. So I was quite nervous at three-quarter time. And they kicked, they did all that work. And then Geelong kicked two goals against a run of play. And something was 15 points or something at three-quarter time. One of them was really suspicious with the free kick out of the middle or whatever it was. So yeah. Just... But I thought they were okay once Franklin kicked the first goal. They couldn't control the game. And, you know, if I was watching the game between two other teams and I didn't have any emotional involvement in it, I would have, and as a student of football, I would have thought, well, Team A being 21 points up, five minutes in the last quarter of the grand final, rarely, it's only really happened once before to Hawthorne, unfortunately, where a team loses from there. So... You know what, I think the other thing is, I mean, Ash has mentioned that he's seen plenty of Hawthorne Grand Finals. So similar to, to you, Nick, I, I'd been to 10 Grand Finals before this. Um, and this is the first Hawthorne Grand Final I'd been to. So the, the, the pinching yourself, is this really actually happening? The... No, no, not until the final siren's gone. It's not safe. You just never know. Uh, it changes completely in that moment because uh, it literally is history being created for you as an individual, as a fan, and, and what you're going through at that moment, especially after all the hard years you've, you've put in watching us when we're at the other end of the ladder. Oh, that's right. When I talk about this game and, and, you know, it sort of ties back into my experience of like 2003, 2004 and that sort of era where I don't even remember a specific time it occurred. I'm sure I've relayed this on the podcast before, so bear with me, listeners. But this, this idea pops in your head and you're like, 
there's no guarantees here. I could actually go through my entire life never seeing a Hawthorne Premiership. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing to say it's going to happen. But of course, how how quickly it turned around, and it is that thing, like you say, Andrew. I, I do remember. Um, like I think you tapped into something there for me just then, the way you described it on the day when it got down to it. It was like I can't actually believe this is happening. And you do think back to those days where you're like, oh, but what if? What if it never happens? And it was. And you kind of pinch yourself. You definitely think about that. I remember watching Crowd come off, hobbling, and I thought back to him hitting the top of that post against Essendon. And I thought, oh, you know, how important he was on the day. And then Clinton Young is is running a muck, and then he pulls a, was a hammy or a calf. We lose him. So it, it wasn't an easy path, but... Jeez, what a victory. And they still can't get over it as a club, Geelong, so that makes it even better. <laughs> See, the beauty of this is, of course, from this, and we've, we've sort of touched on it in a roundabout way, the curse, the so-called curse springs forth from this. And that's the thing that Geelong supporters will cling on to for the rest of their lives. And that's fine. But the thing I have to say about that is that if you want to talk about the streak, go for it. Because that's your story and we know how it ends. Not only that, we know how it starts. It starts with Hawthorne reigning supreme and it ends with Hawthorne reigning supreme. And you can't tell a story without telling the end. That's the story of Hawthorne. (laughs) It is. That's the story of your podcast. That is the golden years in a nutshell. doesn't matter what era you tap into, Hawthorne is standing on top of the mountain. And the beauty of it is you mentioned, you know, pre-2008 going... Am I ever going to watch us win a flag? Uh, I know what you're going to say here. Insert any St Kilda or Melbourne supporters' names that uh, of people that you know here, and um, you know it, it's not. Um, you know, some people would say that um, we're a bit uppity for the belief, but because of the history and because of our success and because of our culture. I'm sure we all think that the next flag's not all that far away, right? Oh, no, I know better now. Don't you worry about that. I'm older, wiser, more of an appreciation of how good this club is. It's right around the corner. I don't care if it's got an asterisk or not. I think we also, we've also we also seen the dogs come from nowhere to win one. And uh, if they can do it... <laughs> I've got to be honest, Andrew. I, I thought the angle you were going to go with is the fact that you know I've been a bit of a... Uh, a younger a younger Nick Mason has a bit of a whinge and a moan about, oh, when am I going to see a Hawks flag? I might never see one. Um, Shane Crawford is living that reality as a player. And his story, his journey's complete by that final siren, and he finally gets his hands on that cup. Um, I mean, it'd be remiss of us to not even mention it, talking about 2008. And what, what are your feelings on Crawford and, and finally living that fairy tale? I mean, Crawford's the reason... I went to the footy for a long period of time, like through those through those rubbish years in the early 2000s. And um, we just wanted him to win so badly that day. And I think that played into to some of my nerves on that day. You know, what if what if this fairy tale ending never happened for Croft? Um, it would just, that would really hurt a lot of Hawks fans, I think. Yeah, I think for me, um, when we talk about uh, our Twitter handles, when we're giving out social shout outs, mine's WCO9 and uh, Croft was definitely one of my idols as a footballer. So um, seeing him 
be able to live that and be able to achieve that and I think add to you know he, he was a he was a great captain for us so funnily enough I've always enjoyed the stat that I think it's Richard Vandenberg is the only Hawthorne captain since about mid-60s not to have a flag next to his name that that's not Shane Crawford that Shane Crawford as the epitome of the best players at our footy club is someone who, as you, as you said, it looked like he wasn't going to get there. And through those lean years, he provided so much for so many supporters um, and so much to the club and his teammates that if there was anyone who deserved it, he did. And, you know, that priceless shot of his reaction on the final siren, I think he, Hugs Mark Williams from memory uh, as the first person that goes to him. And that's up on the big screen. And I actually think on that, I've got in my boardroom at work, um, it's my favourite piece of memorabilia uh, signed by each of the players. And on the scoreboard, on the big ground shot is the Croft and Williams hug. So... Yeah, it, it, it clearly meant a lot to everyone involved and it was just so good to be able to send him off with that medal. Gentlemen, I think we'll look to wrap up now with the three games covered. I hope we've done all of them justice. I'm not sure that we have in the short time that we've had. The 1988 Grand Final, the comeback game, and the 2008. I feel like with the 1988, if there's one thing we could just pick up on that, uh, Dunstall with seven goals, I don't think got a mention in our recap. Feels like a bloke who kicks seven goals in a Grand Final should probably get a bit it's of a shout normal. out. <laughs> normal. <laughs> Uh, other than that, uh, I'm not sure if there's any other... I'm sure, look, listeners will let us know. Um, and I, I think that's a good cue for us to get into some socials and some plugs. Guys, tell us about Golden Years and uh, how people can find the podcast. Uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, through the Hawthorne uh, website and the official Hawthorne app. And probably a bunch of other podcast providers as well. Too many to mention here. And we publish every Wednesday, usually. That usually goes up first thing Wednesday morning. just want to say that it's becoming a timeless archive. It's, uh, it's like archival footage of, of what it was like from these players giving their insights into how it was back then. It's a fantastic resource, and I enjoy listening to a lot of the players. And some of them, obviously, is almost still living some of the moments and others look back on it with a sort of fond memory. It's, um, it's interesting the different ways the players approach their times at Hawthorne. Yeah, I think um, one of the interesting things I've found, and um, Ash mentioned that we spoke to Rocket Rodney Ede today and, and John Barker's been on and we've spoken to Campbell Brown that, that we're through 12 episodes covering so many different players, part of so many different generations that have gone on from the Hawthorne Football Club that have been involved in footy all over the place, in media, at other clubs, in all sorts of roles. And the common theme with everyone that we've spoken to is that their heart lies with Hawthorne and that at the end of the day, um, they always see themselves as a Hawthorne person and you're just never sure that you're going to get that. And when you do, it just, it just helps exactly what you're talking about. Go, this archive is, is really special. Speaking to people who 
um, are just ingrained into the culture and fabric of the football club. And then you talk to Hodgie, who says his son loves Brisbane, and uh, <laughs> you wonder why you you wonder why you asked the question in the first place. He's just angling for a father son academy at Hawthorne, isn't he, Ash? That's the idea. They'd like to get it, but uh, no, put the frightens of a few people when uh, when Hodgie said that. So uh, it's. Uh, We've got to find work. I think I might go to Hutchie and say, Hutchie, you've got to give him a full-time job at Croc. You know, just pay him 300000 a year to commentate footy and talk on SEN. Then I'll bring him home and case closed. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully by then, uh, the footy departments will be back up to 40 or 50 people and we can just find a role for him at the club. Or a family member, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I bet there's probably a trigger word or something that you have to say to Hodgie and he just instantly reverts back to Hawthorne. There'll be something in place. They've thought of everything. Clarkson would have uh, ingrained it into him, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, guys, football today, the present day, I know that's not normally your bag on the podcast. You guys are into the archives and the, the glory days have come before. But uh, how are you guys feeling about the prospect of... I'm sure once it's back, I'll be significantly more upbeat about the rest of the season ahead. But I, I can't help but feel feeling be, be feeling a little bit cheated in that um, the hopes were up pre-season the good win against Brisbane finally um, you, you boys know from the practice match we were at uh, my early love for Jonathan Patton you know like I feel like he's been cheated Chad Wingard who you know that the end of last season um, and even through round one just thinking about how good a footballer he's going to be for us he's been cheated and it's just really hard because it's just not going to be the normal football season I'm sure once it's back though uh, that white line fever will be back when it comes to watching the footy crowds or no crowds I think um, you know I've got a footy mad daughter and watching the footy I think is um you know, we've watched the Brisbane game. That's how desperate we are for footy. We've watched that round one Brisbane game four times. So <laughs> I just want something new, something positive, hopefully. And um, I thought what I saw from the Brisbane game, they were pretty good. I actually think, and I think a Clarkson coach team, a lot of veteran players, is very well placed to come back in this most unusual season very quickly. Um, and I, I think they're a top five. They're a top six team for sure, and sneaky a sneaky chance of, of you know going even better. The, the Hawthorne team that played Brisbane, and you guys might think I'm a bit mad. The Hawthorne team that played Brisbane and played pretty well. I would love to see how it go against Richmond. A fit Tom Mitchell and a rejuvenated Wingard alone is just like it suddenly gives them some real juice in the midfield. So I'm intrigued. I just don't. Th- I think they're. Going to be a pretty good team. I don't think they'll win it, um, but I'd be really disappointed if, they, if they're not a top six team. I think they're, uh, and I think they think, I think they think they're a top six team. I really liked the look of us in the Brisbane game. Um, I, I am bullish. I'm the same as you, Ash. Um, if there is any kind of season, if there's any kind of competition, I don't care what it is. If Hawthorne's in it, I want Hawthorne to win, for the simple reason that it's just fun. It's what we do here is fun. The more we win, the more golden years we get, the more fun the Hawk Talk podcast is. So yeah, 
I want to win anything that Hawthorne's in. Disclaimer, if we don't, it doesn't count. No, nah, it doesn't count. Asterisk, <laughs> asterisk, mate. Doesn't count. It's, you know, it's a rubbish season. It's Bush League. It's not worth your time, mate. Don't worry about it. But if we do, it's a golden years episode in 20 years' time, for sure. And I update the Wikipedia page, and it has the year 2020, and the asterisk is beside it, and the asterisk denotes best ever premiership. <laughs> Most hardship endured. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it's all about perspective, isn't it? It's forged through adversity. That's what Hawthorne's all about. Forged through adversity. Yeah, I tell Darren he's got to read the heart, the, the goal, what is it, the hard way and all those books. Uh, he's got to come up to speed with history of the club and the, the hard, he, he needs to learn a bit more about the hardship the footy club endured. So I've given him some homework that hopefully he's going to uh, catch up as we do our next few episodes. I've told Nick he should do an audio book of the hard way. Is anyone going to pay me for this, Tiz? Are you going to bankroll it? What's what's going to happen to my time? Give the fans what they want. <laughs> I, I'm happy to do an audio book. It's just uh, that is a time-intensive thing. Hide behind the copyright here, Nick. That's what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. This has been a lot of fun. I think the thing that I love about this is um, what other club has this kind of thing that is so nourishing for their fans and their members and the supporters, not only across the nation, but wherever they are in the world. You've got, you know, I can toot our own horn, but I'd rather do it for you guys. You've got a great podcast with access to these uh, past players and people connected to the club uh, that is a great sort of retrospective look at the at the Hawthorne Football Club's successes. And in conjunction with ours and just the general community of Hawks fans all up and about in a time when there's no football, it's pretty special. And like I, like I was hinting at, I'm not sure I see this from any other club in the league. And that, as much as our success over the years, makes us a damn good club. Uh, side eye to the Dodcast, of course. It took me a second, but I just remembered what you were referring to. <laughs> <laughs> Dodcast. Do you guys know about this? The Dodcast is... Uh... It actually just goes through all the great picks that uh, Adrian Dodoro has done down the ages. That's uh, what's that th- that's devoted to. A better podcast would be all the other recruiting managers talking about how Dodoro held him over a barrel in the last hour before the trade deadline. All the deals didn't get done because he was holding out the extra set of steak knives. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say there should be uh, that Essendon should be jumping on board and and maybe talking about some great finals wins, but I'm not. I'm not sure they'd actually find any guests that were still alive. <laughs> See, what, what's we've arrived at an interesting place, haven't we? I feel like I've built up a lot of goodwill and how the club's so nice and great and the supporters are awesome. But at the end of it, all five of us, we just want to pay out on Essendon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like we've spoken about Geelong, we've spoken about Melbourne, now we've spoken about Essendon, so... Uh, Fulfilled. I'm feeling fulfilled right now. Well, I think that might be a good place to leave it. Uh, and we should definitely do this again sometime. I hope the listeners out there have enjoyed this special crossover edition, the Hawk Talk podcast and Golden Years team up. We'll just get to some of our social stuff if you bear with us being indulgent for a moment, guys. Uh, Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review us on there. 232 ratings, which is great to see. If you loved this episode, let us know. And uh, let the Golden Years podcast guys know as well. Uh, Twitter, you can find us there at Hawk Talk Pod. 2,000 followers is in the rearview mirror now. 3K is the next target. You can find us on Facebook, of course. Facebook.com slash Hawk Talk Pod. And Patreon is the big one. You can subscribe and support us there. Sling us some coin if you have it to spare. And uh, 
patreon.com slash talk talk pod is where you need to go once again well done to you guys for a fantastic pod um that we we all devour every week you got the ball rolling for the hawthorne podcast and uh we wish you all the success from three of us and our listeners who are spec money same as yours as well we wish you guys continued success it's a great podcast so well done oh you guys thank you so much for joining us uh this was tremendous fun and as I say, we should do it again, and I dare say the listeners would agree. So this is us signing off the Hawk Talk podcast and the Golden Years. We are a happy team at Hawthorne.